Hi, everyone. It's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwoman. And today's guest is Baba Rivera, the founder of Purr. Also recently launched a podcast called Out of Office and by Baba. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so before we started about anything, what is by Baba? So our listeners can come along for this ride. Yeah, very fair question. Uh, so that is my brand marketing agency that I started two and a half years ago here in New York. And now we have an office in Europe as well. Tell me what inspired you to start this agency and what were you doing before that? So I was in the tech industry before, so quite different. Um, I kind of began my career in at Uber. I launched Uber in Sweden. Oh my gosh. And then I moved to the US where I head up fashion partnerships for Uber. And later on, I joined the direct-to-consumer brand Away. And I guess during my time at both of those companies, I felt a sense of frustration with the agency world. I felt like there was a one-size-fits-all type of model, very old-school, showroom-driven, press-release-driven. Um, so when I left Away, I kind of left with this idea of creating the next generation of the agency model. Um, so we call ourselves a brand marketing agency, and we function as an extension of our clients' teams uh, working on all aspects of the marketing mix. So who are some of your clients, and what are some of the exciting campaigns you've done? Well, we... Maybe an exciting campaign to talk about is what we did with Danish brand Baum. Mm -hmm. uh, they uh, are new in the U.S., so we hosted uh, kind of like an apartment takeover. So actually it was in my home, which we have never done before. And we created the kind of like the world of Baum inside of my home uh, and showcased their SS20 collection and had the founders over and had everyone over for a Danish feast. Uh, so that was really exciting. What kind of food is a Danish feast? Well... The Danish kringla is a must. <laughs> Not that that tells anyone kringla? anything. Yeah. It's like a pastry with... Um What's nice with Danish pastries is they're not too sweet. Yeah, um, I hate sweet. Yeah, same. Um, But also the rye bread. Like, I feel like Danes invented rye bread. I'm sure they did. Yeah. It's very healthy for you. <laughs> so good. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so we, we work on um, both fashion and wellness. Um, yeah, we do photo shoots and talent casting. Awesome. And so things obviously did well here. And so you quickly expanded into Europe. Yeah. So I am from Sweden originally. So I had that kind of background um, and as such a lot of requests from this Scandinavian market uh, asking us when we would launch there. So the headquarters are in Sweden? No. So this headquarters are in New York. We started it here and I actually never wanted to go back to Sweden and like do this over there. But I found an amazing CEO in Sweden who I totally vibed with. And I guess she convinced me that this was needed in Scandinavia as well. Has it been a struggle for you to have two companies over different parts of the continent or the world, I should say? Um, I feel like I'm used to it because when I worked at Uber, I was always working with all types of time difference at all times. Um, but... I guess the biggest struggle is you always want, I, I think of my company as my family. And I think that's the hardest part. It's like having a long distance relationship with family members. Mm -hmm. um, so I I look forward to the holiday season and bringing like both teams together um, to really spend some quality time together. And do they come here or you go there? We have been sending people from here to Sweden uh, for like bigger project support. Um, but I think for the holiday season, the, the Swedes should come to New York. I love that. So you're 15 now. Uh, yeah. Wow. So 
how do you manage to do that and have the podcast and have your other extension, Her? Yeah. So the Her community started as a passion project um, that kind of grew out of control. I'm sure you can relate to that with uh, with your work in the female empowerment space. Um, but I'm lucky there that I have a co-founder. And so with my agency, I'm the sole founder. But with her, I co-founded it with Marika. And she's the CEO of the organization. So I... Uh, Tell us what her does. Well, her connects women. Um, we believe that women are stronger together and that we should change in the, the narrative around vulnerability. I think... Many times vulnerability has been um, perceived as a negative and we think it's a strength and it's one of the most powerful things that connect human beings. So we we bring women together and we encourage them to be vulnerable. Do you do this in real life or digitally too? Real life. So tell me like what a typical HER gathering is. The bread and butter of the HER events are our curated dinners. So it will normally be maybe a group of 25 women and uh, we'll have a topic, a guest of honor and we will then encourage every woman to go around the table and put out an ask, which is something that is so powerful because as women, we are not always comfortable asking for help. Yeah. And we want to change that. It's interesting you say that because I've had a number of dinners where we ask, we have a topic and we have everyone share and it's usually something around vulnerability and we do it and I've done it enough in New York that I'm like, all right, it's going to get really uncomfortable. <laughs> Just sit in the discomfort of everyone hating me for inviting them. <laughs> and then everyone like ends up loving the dinner. We just did this in LA and I swear it was, it was way more uncomfortable than I've ever been. I had three people threaten to leave the dinner. They were pissed. And then they shared the most incredible things and they were like, this was like therapy. Thank you. Yeah, people need it, but they don't know they need it. That's the thing. Correct. No, I, I totally agree. I actually did. Um, I hosted a, a big conference in Sweden and I forced all 200 attendees <laughs> in the audience to meditate with me before we started the panel. Um, and that was also one of those moments where like you could see some people like looking at each other, like, why did you bring me here? Like, right. what is this? It's so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. And often Afterwards, that was the biggest highlight, the most kind of like well-received feedback. Wow. That's cool. Well, if you're listening, I would encourage you to have a dinner party, ask a really uncomfortable question and make everyone answer it because it just makes for a better time. And you connect. That's how you totally. build relationships. That's how you actually network. Totally. And so not you didn't have enough to do. So you launched a podcast called Out of Office. Yeah. Um, we... So I always get so many questions on Instagram. I'm sure you you get the same, but as someone who has kind of like built a career and uh, and later on gone on to build a company, I always get very career-related questions on my Instagram. Uh, so I do these Q&As there uh, every other Sunday. And it kind of got to me that this is a topic that seems to just keep growing. Women are seeking career advice or seeking inspiration. And I felt like a lot of the times in the media, we only see the founders. So I wanted to create um, a platform for people who maybe are more relatable for some of, of my followers to share advice and kind of like take them through those tangible moments in their career journey. What were those decisions they were making and how were they thinking about it? That's cool. So have you, have you, has it aired yet? Yeah. We can download it? Yeah. You can just search for Bye Baba in Spotify or your podcast app. Okay. And do you have a personal life? 
Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I am married and have a dog. So that's my little family. No, but it sounds like I have so much on my plate, but I also try to have a pretty balanced life. Um, I very rarely work on weekends. That's good. Yeah, which I feel like is very rare in New York. Um, But I really have worked really hard to kind of create that lifestyle where I go all in on the weeks and and I'm socially in the weeks. I eat out in the weeks, but then on the weekends, I prefer to be in Brooklyn Heights where I live, take my dog for a long walk, go for a workout with my husband. Very kind of a, a huge contrast to the rest of the week. Yes. Do you ever shut off though, even if you're, it is a weekend, is your mind always buzzing with ideas or? Definitely. My, my husband is an entrepreneur as well. So yeah, we're always uh, thinking about the next thing. And he's so supportive of my company. So he he's always like, I don't know, throwing ideas at me. He's like, oh, you guys should do this. And so it goes. Yeah. My husband does that too, but usually, yes. <laughs> You're like, yes, it never stops. It, yes. He's like, and what about this? Blah, blah, blah. And you should interview this person. And I'm like, thank you. Noted. Do you? Can do we you, not talk about work, please? Do you take it well? I was just going to ask her, do you prefer uh, not to? It depends what it is. If I'm, if I'm like, he's a director. So I know if I ask a very specific question about video or editing, like I'm all in to listen. But if he's like giving me feedback about something with the fashion show, then I'm like, no, no, no. no. You don't get to have the opinion here. <laughs> um, so one thing that I noticed is you worked at all these incredible startups that are just part of now, I feel like a modern lifestyle, whether it's Uber or Away. Um, Is there a singular thread of something that you learned at those companies that has enabled you to launch successfully now your your own? Yeah, definitely. I feel like I, when I meet other people who have had more traditional jobs, that's when I realized that my mentality is so different Mm -hmm. and it's really shaped from the startup uh, industry. I think there is a sense of um, fearlessness that I'm so grateful to have today, especially as an entrepreneur, because you you never know where your company is going to take you. So you have to kind of like have that, um, you have to be fearless. And I definitely learned that at both Uber and Away. And the other thing is that speed, like speed does matter. Mm-hmm. And I think I used to be more of a perfectionist and now I'm, I'm learning to, through Uber and Away, I learned what's good enough and like what really moves the needle. Totally. I think some people can get stuck and and women notably can get stuck on this. Like it has to be perfect. Yeah. I can't show it to anyone until it's perfect. So then no one sees it. Right. So now being that you have a company that has to deal with some of these old school people, how do you take that mentality and sort of reinvigorate them to to think differently? Yeah. That's one of the biggest challenges being on on the agency side, because you're obviously not in-house. So you have to... You have to merge cultures in many ways when you're working on projects. Um, we try to be pretty upfront even before contracts, just like this is how we work and this is what we believe in and this is where we can bring value. Uh, and I think letting the companies focus on what they do really well and then creating a space that we can own for them is really the key to success. I think it's it's dangerous when you have too many cooks involved in every area of the business. What's been the hardest part of having your own business? Hmm. I think I thought having my own business would mean a little bit more free time somehow. (laughs) I like I saw myself being this person who would go to yoga in the middle of the day and, you know, oh, now I'm my own boss. I can do these things. But what I I didn't realize is that when it's your own business, you you go to bed with your job. You you really do. Um, So I think that's the difficult part is sometimes I can be physically on vacation, but mentally it's harder to shut off. Totally. 
I st- I'm still, I'm, I'm getting really close. I can almost see it like shutting off on vacation. I'm like, maybe the next vacation I'll exactly. be able to do that. <laughs> it's only been 15 years. I mean, who's counting? I know. Honestly, if you still haven't got there, then is there any hope? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that I, that I realized, I don't know, I think three summers ago on the weekends, I would just turn off and I, that was incredibly freeing and inspiring. Like I got excited to go back to work Monday rather than being burnt out and having checked email all weekend. And yeah. I was like, if I can do that on the weekend, I can, I can maybe stretch this out for a week at a time. Yeah. What I actually have done is um, putting myself in situations where I don't have a choice. So like when I worked at Uber, I used to go to Burning Man and that was a great, a great excuse in a way, because you literally cannot get Wi-Fi. Um, so then I would have 10 days of totally like off the grid moment. My preferred choice of shutting off today is not Burning Man, however, but I went on a spiritual retreat with Deepak Chopra this summer. And that was really powerful. And we... I went with a friend and both of us just decided to not use any technology for the whole week and not take any photos. And as someone who also runs an Instagram account that's, you know, very kind of like active, um, that was a huge kind of vacation mode to just not even take a photo. Yeah. And did you miss it? I mean, there was definitely this itch in the beginning where it's like, where's my phone? Or like, oh, this is so beautiful. I need to capture it. But then to to rethink it and be like, oh, this is so beautiful. I'm going to try to remember it and describe it to someone. Yeah. I feel like I have to get over that jerk, that hand jerk. Like I'll put my phone in my bag. You're like, don't grab the phone. And then like literally 30 seconds later, I'm I'm reaching for the phone. No, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what we've done to ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) So what is on your horizon that you're excited about? If I'm being honest for a little, I mean, I'm being honest all this podcast, but if I'm being kind of like a little bit real, I've had a pretty difficult year. We have seen a lot of, you know, success with the company and and, and whatnot, but I, I did have a loss in my family at the beginning of this year. So I really just look forward to getting back on my feet, like fully. Um, I feel like I've been half asleep this year and I've been operating on like autopilot and leaning on work for for energy here and there, but also falling uh, many times. So I look forward to next year having, um, I don't know, getting back to my new self, I guess. Hitting the reset button. Yeah. And aside from being off on the weekends and all in during the week, like what else do you do to relax? Do you read? Do you go for a bike ride? Like what's your... So I'm kind of a maniac when it comes to soul cycle. I am obsessed and it's like the most basic thing one could say, but... I really love it. That's what I do on the weeks. Um, I try to do Soul Cycle four times a week, wow. uh, and uh, to me, that's like my meditation, my therapy. I can I can go there half asleep, and I will wake up on the bike. I also go to therapy once a week, and that's been super helpful this year in particular. I love working out. Um, on the weekends, my husband and I will do like a rumble or a berries boot camp, something like that together, and and kind of not stress, you know, take time to grab a smoothie after, not be on a schedule and meditation. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So what's something that we would be surprised to know about you? I think many things. Uh, tell me, you can tell me more. <laughs> well, I I grew up in Sweden, but I'm Latina. Um, my parents to this date don't speak any Swedish, although they live in Sweden. Come on. Yeah, it's crazy. So I how, was re- how old were they when they moved to Sweden and why Sweden? So during the Pinochet dictature in Chile, a lot of kind of like social Democrats um, moved to Sweden because Sweden had a very open immigration policy and they were a social democracy uh, at the time. So that's how my parents ended up there. They were, 
this was 30 years ago. So they were adults. <laughs> I mean, I guess Swedish is a hard language to learn slash my parents never thought of it as long term initially. But I think that's something that most people always get surprised to hear that I come from a true immigrant family, especially Swedish friends of mine get surprised because when they speak to me in Swedish, I speak Swedish perfectly. I'm very Swedish in my way of thinking and everything, but I actually grew up in a very Latin home. So was there this constant push-pull growing up of like you get home and it, and you're in this different sort of environment and culture and then you go outside and it's... Oh, totally. So much. I... I was very confused as a kid because the same things that I would get praised for at school, I would get shit for at home. So the Swedish school system is all about being an independent thinker. And they really, and I'm someone who always speaks my mind. So I was always celebrated for that in school. They're like, oh, good thinking, Baba. Here is someone who is applying independent thinking and questioning the teacher. Like that was, you know, great. And then I would come home and I would get shit for that because in the Latin culture, you don't question authorities, you don't question older people. So like, even if your uncle says something really weird, you're, you should just nod and laugh. And and I, I never fully understood that. I was like, I'm so confused. Like at school, that's being praised. And then at home, I'm expected to like, just be quiet and let bullshit flow. Right. Yeah. So it was definitely a confusing upbringing. I think now I'm, I'm really grateful for it because I I really feel like I have a two perspectives. Like I, I understand what it means to be an immigrant in a country where you don't speak the language. Uh, and at the same time, I grew up with a lot of Swedish friends who would complain about immigrants not learning the language and so and so. So it was interesting dynamic for me to be on both sides of the spectrum at the same time. Totally. Did you ever feel isolated with your friends? I was ashamed of bringing friends home. Um, I had my close friends who I would bring home, but I otherwise felt like... I think many times people, I just assumed that I was like adopted, uh, which is kind of crazy. I grew up in a small town where um, the like political climate was very kind of like right winged and um, to this day it is. Uh, so it wasn't super celebrated to be different. So I tried my best to just blend in as much as I could. <laughs> wow. And so what else? You said there are many things we'd be surprised to know. Many things. Um, another <laughs> one is that I dreamt of having a bakery. I love mm. baking. I want to. I want a bakery. Yeah, I, my husband actually even created a logo for me once. <laughs> that was like his birthday gift. What would you bake? The uh, Swedish, all Swedish desserts. Yeah, Swedish cinnamon buns. I would bake strawberry cake. Um, yeah. Do you bake at home now? So that's the irony is that I don't <laughs> anymore. Uh, I think my baking career had a bright future until I started working at Uber, <laughs> and then I never saw an oven again. Um, yeah, my, my husband does all the cooking at home now. Nice. So, yeah, but he, he jokes that he like got a false advertisement <laughs> because when we were dating, I was always like cooking and baking for him. Um, and then that didn't continue. <laughs> Did you experience anything at Uber? Uber is like, has, you know, some bad baggage, I should say. Mm -hmm. Did you experience anything like that at your time there or no? Um, not really. I, so basically... Since I started at Uber in Sweden, I was one of the first hires there. It was me and this other guy. We got to build our own team. Gotcha. Um, so we really created our own little company culture, I guess, within the, the Swedish entity. And then when I relocated to the U.S., I was working in the New York office, which was also very liberal and, um, and kind of modern. 
I think a lot of these stories that have come out uh, have been um, mostly from the like engineering uh, side and a lot of the San Francisco offices. Uh, yeah. And, and to me, that was so saddening because the Uber that I worked at was like those four years were my best years. Like I, I, I wish everyone could have four years like that in their career at some point because it was so empowering. I learned so much. I felt like an entrepreneur within the company. So when, when all those like allegations started to come out, I was like, wow, were we at the same company, you know? Right, right. But I mean, granted, it was a big company. When I left, there were 12,000 employees. Wow. So. So in person, you strike me as someone that's very happy. In your Instagram, you clearly come across as happy. So you're not faking it. I know that. So where do you, where do you draw that from? Mm. Or positivity, I should say. I think it's um, like gratitude. Um, and it, that almost sounds like cheesy these days because everyone is kind of like... Practicing gratitude. Yeah, practicing <laughs> gratitude and the, the journalings and whatnot. But I um, I had a moment in my life when I was not as happy or gra- like grateful. Uh, when I was a child, I used to victimize myself a lot. I felt sorry for myself because I didn't have the best clothes or I was embarrassed that my parents didn't have any money or any education. Like, poor me. No one can help me with my homework. I'm not valued enough at home because they don't understand how great of grades I have, you know, victimizing myself a lot. And and as a result, you don't become happy. Like if that's the narrative that you're creating for self, for yourself, you're not going to be happy. And I had a bit of an aha moment with that when I was, I think, 18. And I started to realize that a lot of these people that I looked at as happy and fortunate were not necessarily happier than I. Like maybe on paper they had better clothes or more money, but they all had their struggles. And I think that kind of empowered me to realize that we all have our own struggles, whether you can see them from the outside or not. Um, And it's not about the outer circumstances. It's really about how you decide to define your own narrative. I love that. Uh, Yeah. So I I started practicing like gratitude as a pretty early, like I didn't even know that it was, gratitude yeah exactly but but now I'm realizing that I I would always whenever I find myself feeling sorry for myself I would then replace that with like five things I'm grateful for I love that is that your one piece of advice or do you have another one because I like to ask that question too yeah I think focusing on what you have versus what you don't have yeah is is huge and uh, I do write it down at night actually uh I started that this year because it was a little bit more difficult to be positive this year. So then I started putting down five things that I'm, three things that I'm grateful for and something that I look forward to the next day. I love that. And every night you do it? Yeah. And you save the journal? Yeah. And do you ever go back and read it? I thought I would, but I don't. (laughs) That was like the idea. I was like, oh, and then whenever you're feeling blue, you can just open this up. Uh, But the reality is I'd just rather write than read it. Yeah. That's the therapeutic part of it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. That was Baba. You can follow her at Bye Baba, or you can download her podcast wherever you listen to them. I hope you enjoyed that episode.